I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome to episode 209 of Out of Place. Not too much to talk about this week. Uh, There's a ton of cool new things happening behind the scenes right now. And in September, I'll have a bunch of cool news for you. And October will bring a bunch of fun. But for right now, in this moment, I just want you to enjoy this week's episode. And just a reminder, if you haven't already checked out Meddling with Monsters, Dana, our editor, uh, musician, and all-around sound design genius for Out of Place, and Daisy, our dialogue editor and resident clam expert, make an incredible actual play show. Uh, It's a wonderful Monster of the Week story, and each week is hilarious and wonderful and dark and mysterious, and I highly encourage you to check it out. But without further ado, this week's episode... We lost Quintero. There's no easy way to say it, so I thought I'd begin with that. There was always a chance we'd lose a field team member, but even so, it hit harder than I expected when it happened. I've never met Private First Class Francisco Quintero. I only know him from the recordings of his voice. He probably doesn't know my name. He may not know I exist at all. But here he was gone, left a sort of hollow in me. Everything felt dry, like the world was covered in a layer of dust. There was a numbness, I think because I didn't know what I was supposed to feel. It doesn't make any sense. People die every day. But it affected me more than I thought something like this could. If many other people in the project knew we'd lost someone, it wasn't obvious from the people at the office. 
But most of them aren't anything to do with Extant. They're from logistics or personnel. Intelligence, maybe. I assume we've lost people before that I never heard of. I know the project keeps information compartmentalised, so nobody knows everything, but even so, it feels like someone dying under the project's watch is something that should affect everyone. Should I talk to someone? Open up and try to feel something? Or do I file it away and get on with it like everything else? I know I should be all touchy-feely about it and find someone to talk to, but I fear that opening the floodgates for all the things I know about to reach some vulnerable spot in my brain. What if I fall apart completely? What if the existential madness gets a hold and doesn't let go? I'd rather bottle it up and let it eat away at me than fully comprehend the multiverse and totally lose it. I don't know how the rest of the field team is taking it, although I doubt it's a barrel of laughs. My guess is they're being given light duties for a while before being phased back into field work. No one from the rest of Extant has told me, and I don't have a way of asking. I haven't met any of the rest of the team either, but I find myself hoping they're doing okay. Even Sandage. Rico knew something was wrong. He said he grew up with three brothers and two sisters. There's no way I can get anything past him. I said it was a personal thing, but that I appreciated his concern. I assume he knows a fair bit about the project, but I still can't risk cluing him in about what Extant does. He said I should watch the fight on pay-per-view at his place tonight. I don't care about boxing or whatever fight he was talking about, but he's well aware that's not the point. I said I'd think about it. And I will. Quintero died on a planet the Extant team first noticed when the orbital probes sent back the anomalous communications from orbit. They were chaotic. Crazy. The one was a TV station that was still pumping out old movies and repeats of sitcoms according to some algorithm, with blank spaces where the presenters and advertisements were supposed to be. Another was a radio station that sounded like one guy with a microphone and an antenna, ranting about how since everything had ended, God was coming back piece by bloody piece, and one day soon the people would walk out of the sea to be judged. He kept talking about angels returning and winnowing out the sinful and how Babylon had fallen. It was mostly gibberish, but something terrible had definitely happened. The probe also picked up short-distance comms that sounded like military chatter in Russian, talking about holding parts of Rostov-on-Don against something they called the Feasting Ones. Even with these and other examples, the Earth was extremely quiet, with a fraction of the broadcasts suggesting a functioning society. The surface was chaos, too. Fires in the cities and parts that had already been burned. Huge queues of traffic on the roads and what looked like battlefields where impact craters still smouldered. Most places were without power and there was no air or sea traffic significant enough to show up from orbit. There were definitely people on the surface of this version of Earth, but civilization, as we understand it, was gone. There was no nation still functioning, only small scatterings of survivors, almost all of whom were enmeshed in some form of conflict. An anomalous structure was located near Vandenberg Air Force Base in the USA. In the middle of the California countryside was a huge circular installation the probe confirmed as steel, well over 15 kilometers in diameter, resembling an enormous flat open space with a small cluster of buildings just outside its circumference. 
The closest city was Santa Maria, which appeared to have been militarized and fortified prior to whatever catastrophe befell the Earth. Elsewhere on the West Coast, most of San Francisco and the denser parts of Los Angeles had been burned. Just about all the other major cities were in a similar state. In other places, not just the US, but all over the world, temporary cities had sprung up, resembling enormous shanty towns or refugee camps, subsequently abandoned or torn apart by conflict. Caravans of vehicles hundreds of miles long had ended in snarls of scorched wreckage. There was no single destructive event, but thousands of individual apocalypses all descending on the world at once. Extant elected to send the field team to the anomalous structure in California. The dimensional breach capsule appeared at the northern edge of Vandenberg Air Force Base in a decently on-target arrival. The capsule landed in brush near the base's residential area. It was a bright, clear day with winds coming in off the ocean. The sound of seabirds indicated that whatever had happened to the world, it had not also depopulated the wildlife. The large, circular structure was past the residential area, which was housing for the base personnel and their families. Immediately, the team saw signs of massive disruption. The first house had been destroyed by fire, but the second they passed was intact. Through a broken window, the team saw a knot of bodies intertwined, having died in a heap of tangled limbs. They were naked and had reached an advanced stage of decomposition, discoloured and bloated in the California heat. There were other bodies in the street. One looked deformed and hewed with bulging muscles that hadn't fully rotted away, and an enlarged skeletal structure that gave it the look of a caricature strongman. Another body had massive traumatic injuries and lay in the middle of a broken paving slab as if it had fallen from a great height. It still wore a pair of skiing goggles. The anomalous structure was visible as soon as the team got beyond the first row of houses. It was an enormous circular open space of metal, shining in the sun. They could feel the reflected heat radiating off it. It was so big it was impossible to explore in any depth on foot, so Warren Officer Poulter sent up a photography drone to get aerial footage while the team secured their immediate area. The metal surface was inscribed with lettering two metres across, spelling out the word WELCOME in several thousand languages. The drone also photographed regularly spaced areas of the surface discoloured by extreme heat and distorted by massive pressure. Corresponding to the engines or exhausts of an object more than five kilometres in diameter landing on the metal surface. Sergeant Brand concluded a physical examination of the anomalous structure was unlikely to glean more information than the drone footage and elected to head for Santa Maria to the northeast. The team located four bicycles among the houses of the residential area during which they saw many more bodies, including dozens heaped up around the barricaded windows and doors of one specific house. Many appeared to have died of positional asphyxia in the crush to get inside. A sole body remained inside the house in the kitchen and appeared to have died after severe lacerations to the face. The team made good time on the road to Santa Maria, through an area characterised by overgrown vineyards. There were numerous abandoned vehicles on the road, including some military vehicles, many of which had been burned. Bodies were scattered on the road, in particular one that had died naked, and exhibited, as Private Sandwich was quick to point out, Grossly enlarged male genitals. 
Santa Maria had been fortified with concrete barriers across all the approaches and several rings of barricades and watchtowers surrounding a central structure in the middle of the town. This structure resembled an aircraft hangar and was built on the site of a city park. Sergeant Brand believed it to be the hangar for the maintenance of vehicles and was perhaps part of a base for exploring or patrolling the surrounding area. The team continued through the town on foot, and Brandt had them in a defensive posture, wary that with human presence being confirmed in this timeline, contact was likely. Sarge had us moving down the road like it was Black Hawk Down, all covering angles and checking approaches and shit. And this town? It stank. Like, really fucking stank, man. I smelled it before plenty of times. Dead bodies, I mean. But, fuck. Ugh. I won't say you get used to it, but it don't surprise you no more. This time it was... riper. Kind of fruitier. Dumb, I guess, but that's the first sign we had of it, the smell. So, Quintero hears something, and Sarge tells us to stop, and we're at, like, an intersection with all these sandbags across the road, and, like, a kind of wall beyond that with a walkway on the top. Looked like the Air Force was using the town as a fallback in case some shit went down at Vandenberg. Anyway, Quint hears whatever it is again, and then I see something moving. Like, someone's lurching along the street at, like, 9 o'clock. And I say, hey, it's a live one! And the guy's all, like, shambling and shit. Like, one of his legs is busted, you know? And there's a bunch more, too. Like, 50 plus 200 yards from us. And, I, and, and you know, I'm like, and look... I'm gonna say it. Frickin' zombies, man. Like, rotten bodies walking around zombies. And I say, oh shit, zombies! And then Sarge is all like, can it, Sandic, you fucking dumbass? And then, and then he sees them too, and, you know, I mean, like, that's what they fucking are, right? Fucking zombies. And then, then they run right the fuck at us. The stink coming off of them hits us, and... I damn near tossed my fucking cookies right there in the road. I say, shoot them in the head because everybody knows that, right? And I start shooting. And we all do. Like, bam, bam, bam. Like, targets lined up. And I pop a bunch of them. But the head thing? Yeah, no. That 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 doesn't work. They were still coming. Um, fuck. What, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Polter. Polter doesn't know what the fuck to do, of course. So, like, Sarge grabs him by the arm and, like, runs him up to the wall up on the platform. And me and Quint follow him. And, uh, like, the zombies are covering the ground real fast. So I, like, I have to rattle off, like, a half a mag and run. And then Quint, Quint was covering me. So I run up the stairs onto the platform with Sarge and Polter firing down. I turn around and they got Quint. Like, he turned and ran after me and I fired over him at the ones coming, up for, coming for him. But they were, like... They were fast. Like, some of them fell or, or couldn't run, but most of them just swarmed them. Like, one fell behind him and tapped his ankle and ate shit from the bottom of the stairs. And, like, I, I, I'm, I'm running down. I, I run down to grab him, but they, like, they drag him back down. And it's like, fuck, man. There were, like, three or four of them on him. He was so fast. Like, they were just moaning and shambling one moment, and bam, like a pack of fucking cheetahs or some shit. Like, he was underneath a pile of them. Like, some of them had uniforms on, like guys from the base. Fucking Quint was kicking them off and firing, but they were like, God damn, there were too fucking many. And I, I, I had to ask, like, do I shoot them? But Sarge was already down on the other side where we gotta, like, we gotta keep moving. So, like, Quint was, Quint was shouting. I think Quint was shouting, shouting something in Spanish. I couldn't make it out. It was, um, it was blood on his face. 
all kinds of shit. Um, I put three rounds in them. I don't know if they hit. Uh, there were bodies on top of them. I think I got him. I hope I did. Anyway, I followed Polta and Sarge down off the walkway and towards the big building to hang him. And they say, go for the legs, shoot the legs. And, and they waited for me at the barricade and they were blowing out the kneecaps these damn things. So they fell over and couldn't run. God, if I'd have done that from the start, maybe we would have... Fuck, I don't fucking know. Anyway, we get some distance from them and make it past the barbed wire and the tank traps and make it to this guard hut thing on legs where the doors and windows are still in place. Get inside and haul a desk in front of the door. It hits. God. Quinn's dead. Like, dead, dead. It was more than a couple minutes since he first heard him moving. And, uh, we get there, hunker down, and... And all at once, he's dead. We lost one. He's not hurt. He's not transferred. He's he's fucking dead, man. Like, I knew guys who bought it before, but not personally. Anywhere else? Sure. Quint probably wouldn't give two squirts a piss about me, but whether you like each other or not, you get this, I don't want to say fucking bond. That sounds kind of corny. Sounds really fucking corny. Like, you know you can rely on the guy, right? You step in the line of fire for him, too? Trust, I guess, but deeper than that. Life or death. If you ain't never been in combat, you'd, you wouldn't understand. Uh, Brant gets us to go and keep going into that big-ass hangar building thing. And the whole place is all going to shit. A few trucks and jeeps and stuff, but mostly just fucking trash. Um... The hangar has these big double doors that are just chained shut. Sarge gets me to bust open the side door and we go in. I don't know what we were expected to find. Uh, I think the Sarge was just keeping us doing something so we didn't think about Quint. Thought it would be more junk, maybe old bodies, but no. No. It was a pile of fucking gold, man. Bars of gold. Like Fort fucking Knox. A pyramid of them. In, in the middle of this fucking hangar. It must have been like three stories high. And coins, too. A big heap of them all around the gold bars. Like, fucking smog should be sleeping on it. Or some fucking thing, you know? A pallet stacked with bundles of notes to one side. And like, oh yeah, this is just my millions of dollars. Ain't no fucking thing. Like, what the fuck? Maintenance stuff and boxes of supplies cleared out to the fucking edge of the hangar. So the shit ton of gold just stands there in a big open space. Like, there's a big fucking wooden chair on top of it with a dude sitting in it. And the guy's, like, in jeans and a dirty white fucking wife beater. And, like, he's skinny. And he looks real fucking sick. Like, ill. Right? Um, I guess fucking white guy, six foot, don't know his age, could be 18, could be fucking 60. Like I said, real ill, like he was fucking starved or some shit. Uh, Brant points his gun at the guy and, like, tells him to identify himself. And the guy says he's the richest man in the world. Not sure what you're fucking supposed to say, but to his credit, the Sarge keeps us cool. Like, he says we're a patrol from back east looking to survivors, and we ran into the, um... I think he called them resuscitated combatants, but the fucking zombies, right? Like, the guy says, yeah, I heard the gunfire. Yeah. He says he could 
take some money if we want. Just leave enough gold by so the pyramid doesn't fall down. And Brant goes, you, you want to tell us what the fuck happened here? And um, they talk for a long time. The guy starts out, like, not understanding why we don't know all this shit already. But, like, I guess he realizes we're not who we say we are and then just fucking goes with it. Right? A few years before the shit went down, like, Earth is contacted by an alien. And some people don't fucking believe it. But enough do that we start making ready for this alien to arrive. And he says it's like one of the good guys wants to spread galactic peace and fucking love and shit. And Earth's like, hey, sounds good. Come on down. And, like... I didn't really fucking follow all of it, but, like, this fucking alien thing sends data that, does that, like, scientists can decipher, and then they send some fucking transmissions back. Like, something to do with quantum so they can radio it faster than light, I guess? I don't fucking know. Anyway, it's ship needs a landing pad, so the U.S. builds one, and that's the big round thing by the Air Force Base. So, they do all this welcome-to-Earth bullshit. And all the heads of state, like, turn up, and then we got this big fucking festival, like, it's the start of the goddamn Olympics or some shit. Music and dancing from all over the world, this girl sings, you know, the one with the fucking hair, I forget her name. Anyway, so that, so this big silver ball comes down and lands, and the alien comes out, and it's supposed to look like a big floating crystal with light coming out of it, but the guy didn't describe it all that well. He says he only saw it, like, on television. Anyway... Alien comes out and he says, like, I think it was telepathy. It says, People of Earth, I have power to you that is, like, godlike. And I just want to spread fucking happiness and joy to the galaxy. Hooray! So, like, you get... You all get one wish. Like... What? What the fuck? I think what you want more than anything and, it'll make, and I'll make it happen. And, and then it fucking leaves. And this guy, the one in the hangar... Like, he wanted to be the richest richest person in the fucking world. Suddenly, bam, his apartment's full of gold, and his, his old building coins spilling out of the windows, pallets and notes stacked up outside. Like, trillions of fucking dollars, right? And a lot of other people just wanted to stop existing, and they just fucking vanished. Like, others wish they were beautiful, or could fly, or were famous, and then shit just falls the fucking part. Like, you got half of everyone gone... For the other half, a lot of them go crazy because they wish something fucking impossible. Like, they wish they lived in fucking Narnia or some shit. And, like, the alien... All the alien can do is make them think their wish came true, even though it fucking didn't. And others can fly, but not breathe really high up, so, like, they fall out of the fucking sky. Like, I guess some of them wish to be hung like Godzilla, and then, like, that dead guy we saw on the road. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? And the rich guy's money doesn't mean anything now because everybody's fucking dead or crazy and money doesn't fucking work no more, right? So I go like, yeah, that's great, but what about the fucking zombies? And the rich guy says like, well, lots of people wish their dead loved ones um, were alive again. And uh, looks like the alien wasn't quite godlike enough to do that properly, so it was just kind of teleported them out of the grave and made them alive best it could but the brains are all fucking rotted so they kind of go back to being like animals or some shit and that's what the fucking zombies are right anyway brains is like we've we've heard enough and gotta go and i ask if we can take some of the gold but judge but fucking you know sarge just says nah that shit weighs a ton and there's no room in the capsule and i'm like come on dude just let me get a handful of those coins or a bunch of cash but he's like shut up sandic you know what you know what he's fucking like when he gets like that so i just 
I don't know. We just fucking shut up and leave. The team made it back to the capsule without further contact with resuscitated combatants or otherwise. The capsule's return was reasonably accurate within 50 meters and 10 minutes of the expected landing point. The team was immediately debriefed about Private Quintero's death. They were unable to recover his body. I don't know what the procedure is for losing personnel outside our base timeline. I don't even know if it's happened before, although I doubt Quintero was the first. Any recommendation I can make to the project board about protecting against this scenario threatens to become a cliché. Be careful what you wish for. Too much power is dangerous. It probably boils down to, if a godlike alien wants to land on your planet, say no. It's an event from outside the context of human experience that can't be anticipated or prepared for. What looks like the best thing that could possibly happen ends up with... You're being so beautiful you claw your own face off before the adoring hordes tear you apart. Or screwing yourself to death in an orgy with everyone else who wanted non-stop sex. When your dreams come true, you don't wake up. How can you write a procedure for that? This one hit hard. I can't tell if it's because of Quintero's death or the fact that if we really got what we wanted, it would probably kill us. Daydreaming about our wishes coming true becomes a form of fantasizing about death. We can't even stare out of the window and dream anymore. I'll write up what seems relevant and submit it to the board just like always. Close the task and put it aside. But this way of ending the world will stick with me, even more than most of them do. Everyone dying of a plague or a nuclear war is tough to accept, but they make sense. This scenario doesn't. The project's work is to make a perfect world. A timeline tweaked along all its crucial historical turning points to be a utopia. I guess if I was going to take something from the timeline where Quintero died, it would be to make sure it's not too perfect. Give us happiness and long lives. Give us peace and joy. But don't give us exactly what we want. Out of Place was written and created by Ben Counter. Sound design and music was done by Dana Creesman. Our editor was Daisy McNamara. I'm your producer, Pacific Asobadaya. Andrew was Ben Counter. Sandich was Lexi Edwards. And this is a Midnight Disease production. For more information, visit midnightdisease.net. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.